Hello and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe Podcast. We are continuing our coverage of Andor, talking about Season 1, Episode 7. All that and more after commercial break. We have no control over Welcome back, everybody. I'm Matthew, your host. I'm Paul Hoppy, a.k.a. Zen Madman, your not-host. Yep. <laughs> and uh, we're joined by another great guest today. Uh, we've been having a lot of folks on who are like, you know, super deep in all the Star Wars details, but I love getting to hear from a wide range of perspectives. So today we also have our guest, Will Freeland, who is um, a Star Wars fan. The uh, If you're watching on video, which we're not streaming today, so no one is, but if you've seen him on video before, his entire background is covered with Star Wars Legos. And one Star Wars really... Lego. How dare you? <laughs> No, there's, there's a Taj okay, Mahal. There's some, there's, a, there's, there's an Optimus some Marvel Prime. Stuff too. Okay. It's Hulk Buster, Voltron. I'm, uh, I'm trying to convince <laughs> some people he has some kind of Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. Here. There's a giant <laughs> Millennium Falcon. Okay. Let's yeah, there's a that. huge Millennium Falcon. But more to the point, uh, Will has been on the Superhero Ethics podcast a bunch. We've talked about him coming on to do Star Wars, and so wanted to get ready for this. He's kind of binged Andor. Uh, most of the, like, the last couple days, I think a lot of it this morning, and. Uh, you know, I think great to have all these different perspectives because I I know this show is really being loved by the people who are going super deep in the details, but also probably a lot of people who are watching it aren't like keeping up all the news events or all the novels and all that kind of stuff. And so, want to hear from someone who's just enjoying the show itself. So, Will, welcome, and uh, how are you feeling about the show overall so far? Hi, thanks for having me. Um, I'm having I'm having a great time. I uh, I watched the first episode like a week after it came out. Uh, and didn't get a chance to continue watching. And then last week, somebody mm-hmm. posted on the um, on the Facebook group. It was like, oh, my gosh, this episode. What? And I was like, oh, well, OK, I got I got to check this out. So, um, yeah, over the last like week, I have binged the next six episodes, including mm-hmm. the morning of recording this episode. <laughs> nice. Look, I can't fault you. I. I think you gotta gotta choose your battles, you know. And some shows are much better binged as well. I I've been trying to keep up. There's been so much content this summer and fall. One of the things that I kind of let go to the wayside was Rings of Power, and then just this last mm-hmm. Friday and my part, this last uh, weekend, my partner and I just binged all of Rings of Power in a weekend and loved it. But yeah, we hadn't been following it week to week, and so I think you know all sorts of ways to to follow it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, if we weren't podcasting on it, I would vastly prefer to just watch it all at once. I feel like this is a show that does that works better that way for sure. Yeah. Partially because of the kind of, you know, sort of simmer to a boil nature of the three episode arcs. Um, and partially just like, I'm, like, I want to know what happens next. Like if I like yeah. a show too much, watching it weekly is just an annoying experience. <laughs> you know, it's like, come on, <laughs> I want to see the next yeah. thing, you know? Yeah. I get that. Also, like imagine having to wait a year between there, infinity that's... war and Endgame. Yeah. That, that, <laughs> Would have been more annoying if I liked Infinity War, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I did, I did love Endgame though. So, <laughs> I, I, that's right. It's, not, I mean, imagine having to wait three years between Star Wars movies when no, that's how you released a trilogy. <laughs> you know, it's like was no, he the like, dad? Oh, was he not? Oh, we had to. <laughs> Granted, I was four years old, so I didn't quite have an understanding of that kind of patience. But still, like you know, was yeah. he the dad? I didn't know. Right. And right. The original trilogy. I mean, the uh, the the prequel trilogy too was released in that manner. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. So, Will, kind of as you've been going through it, what have you been enjoying about it? This is obviously, a, I think, a very different tone than a lot of other Star Wars stuff, which is causing some divisiveness. Some people don't really like it. I think I'm on record as really loving it. What, what's kind of your take on the show so far? Um, I so I I'm I'm more with you, Matthew. It's I'm having a great time. Um, it is doing to. It, how, how do I want to get this across? Uh, it is, it has been telling these non Skywalker centric stories, uh, set in the same universe in ways that I am excited for Marvel to get to. Um, like Andor, it, the, the stakes are, it's introduced as this like very small, um, potentially inconsequential high risk high reward um mission that if you know more about you know the star wars universe which i've watched everything that has come out but i don't have it memorized down to the detail um it it's it's engaging and it pulls you in and uh it's showing these transactional sides of a lot of like the empire and um the the birth of the rebellion and all this stuff that you don't have time to show in the movies where you first got introduced to these ideas and these groups and i love that it's been so much fun yeah I read somewhere recently that the writers for this and the showrunners were that they named a couple of things that inspired them, and one of them, the first one they mentioned, is The Wire. And hmm. to me, this is like The Wire is my favorite TV show of all time. And what I think The Wire did so well is it really stayed away from the trope of like who are the good guys and who are the bad guys. It just showed people who all have different motivations, who all have different preconceived notions of what they're doing. And some of the things they do, I think many people are more on one side than the other. But everyone's actions make sense. No one feels like they're doing something for the sake of the plot. And you get to have at least some ability to understand each character's point of view. And that's really where I feel like I am at this show at this point, where like – there are characters who are doing things that frustrate me. There are characters who are doing things where I think that they're wrong. But, like, every character we've just learned enough about that I can I can see where they're coming from and understand what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And and that's very different, I think, than a lot of Star Wars. But I think it is utterly phenomenal. And, and I'm just loving it. It's interesting uh, that you mentioned that about The Wire because I, I haven't read that, that, um, you know, Tony Gilroy, the showrunner, and I'm, mm-hmm. his brother Dan Gilroy is, is one of the – wrote the three-episode arc um, that was just before this episode. Um, I imagine they're probably the ones who are being interviewed if it's like two people or whatever, but may, maybe it's some of the other um, I think so. writers as well. I mean, there's usually there's a whole writer's room, right? Um, but I had been mentally – making so many connections to The Wire and really (laughs) thinking about how much this show feels like The Wire and that it's like somebody was like saying something about it and I was basically just like like no this show is as good as like The Wire it's like the same it's like that level of television like that was literally the example I was going to use and it's like oh 
Of course they were inspired by it. Like, of course. That, ma- that makes <laughs> <Yeah>. sense. <laughs> that, you know? <laughs> and the thing that The Wire did, I think I mentioned this last week or the week before, but the thing that The Wire did that is so amazing is it kept introducing groups of new characters because it, it kept killing off a lot of people because it was a very, you know, violent um, story. Mm-hmm. It, and just every character managed to somehow, without, like, being like, oh, here's the one quirky thing about this character, you know, or like, here's the deep motivation story for this character. Like, I felt like they didn't do a lot of that. It was just like the characters just really felt like people in a, in a very organic way by it was little things that they did, you know, like D like explaining the chess pieces. I think it was him, right? He was explaining like that scene and just everybody's reaction to that. It like, it just plays like a bunch of people like having a real conversation. And there's just so many little things that like, it's like, it feels to me like they're not trying to tell you too much about a given character all at once, like with exposition. And as a result, they're actually in a way telling you more about that character, you know, by like kind of how they react to other characters, the way they talk. Um, and, and like, you can infer what they want in certain scenarios without them being like, this is what I want, you know? I don't know. Yeah. I think that's really true. And I think that's maybe a good way to also jump into episode seven itself with what I thought was one of the most interesting conversations. Uh, the ones between, uh, Luthen and Mon Mothma, Mm. because this is where I start like, we 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 know um, because Mon Mothma will it is known in Return of the Jedi is going to be is the head of the the resistance and the rebellion in the novel she becomes eventually the president of the New Republic or I think the Chancellor of the New Republic whatever it is um, and we've seen in the last episodes her and Luthen seeming to both be on the same side and I th- I think they are but I think this is also kind of a clear sign of they're not. They're not the same place in terms of the kind of things that they're okay with. And I'm kind of curious, but how how did you both see that scene with the two of them uh, sort of arguing about what happened and whether this is what the rebellion should or shouldn't do and, and all that kind of thing? Uh, Mothma comes off as this is my end game and I'm going to continue to do it within the confines of the position I have. And so she is going at the snail's pace of always walking, moving forward, but walking backwards of just always covering her tracks and always making sure every little detail is figured out. But, but be the change that you want to see within the system that you're in. And, um, I already forget the other guy's name. Um, Luthen. Luthen, Selvig, Luthen's call him. that's allowable on this podcast. <laughs> but Luthen's uh, approach is a lot more radical, and um, right. it's very okay. This is our end game, and we need to get there in our lifetime. <laughs> so <laughs> let you know. The, my impression from this, knowing that, well, assuming I should say, <laughs> assuming that what's coming out of this is the creation of the rebel alliance um this is uh setting the fire across the galaxy to to a degree of we have these coordinated efforts we've thought things through we have already predicted how the empire is going to respond 
we're ready for it. We need to we need to get going. And Mothma being as out of the loop as she has been for Luthen's uh, agenda um, is like, well, that wasn't my timetable. And and mm-hmm. and she's trying to do everything legally <laughs> uh, right. as legal as, as she can. And I, I think that conflict um, is when you don't get to see done well often. Yeah, I think. So, first of all, when you say, you know, in our lifetimes, like, I think he's a little bit older than she is. So <laughs> yeah. he might have a little different perspective on that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely true. And then also, I think they're each kind of portrayed as being masters of their own craft. Like she's this politician and she's maneuvering in, kind of in the shadows in terms of politics and money. But that's her realm and that's what she understands. And so that's what those are the tools she wants to use. And then Luthen is more this master of the kind of more like in the shadows spy craft type stuff, you know, sending secret messages and wearing disguises and, and going, you know, off world to, to go meet people. And so like that's those are the tools he has. And that's what he leans towards understanding and wanting to use. And he's like, well, you just give me the money and I'll get this stuff done with my tools. And so mm-hmm. I think there's there's like a there's a tension because neither one of them necessarily fully understands the other one's toolbox. And so they maybe don't want to use those. So they're like, no, let's use my tools. And yours, yours are just an accessory to help me achieve things the way I want to. And the other one's like, no, yours are the accessories for me to achieve things the way I want to. <laughs> yeah, I think it's one of the things I loved most because I think that's a that felt very real to me. Mm-hmm. You know, like in so many like historical movements, you often have that kind of tension of the like, do we work within the system? Do we not? And I think a lot of the theory now is that you kind of need both in some way holding attention there. But like, I was struck by how during the, during their discussion, I was kind of wildly back and forth of seeing like, see, not even like feeling they're, bo- they're both right, but they're also both wrong in some ways. Like, mm-hmm. I, I definitely think that there's something to be said. Will, I think you're getting at this of Mon Mothma believes the system that put Palpatine in power is also the system that can take him out of power. Uh-huh. And that there's kind of a, a naivete about that. And that certainly reminds me of the present moment in a lot of ways. But then his statements of like, yes, we need people to suffer so that they will realize how bad things are. You know, it kind of reminds me of people saying like, no, no, it's better if, you know, this other horrible person wins or these horrible things happen in our if the economy tanks because then people will be fired up enough to make the change. And it's like, well, that's great. But Luthen doesn't strike me as the person who's going to suffer the most. You know, he's mm-hmm. probably and, – and so, yeah, I, I was really struck by that conversation where I was like, I, I see the points both of you are making and I also see the dangers in both of your arguments and I – I'm not really sure where I would stand between the two of you. I want to see more of this play out because I think that that there's some I, I hope the two of you can find a way to work together because <laughs> I think there's real danger if we go entirely one of the one of your two sides. I I think um I think Mon Mothma Mon Mothma doesn't thoroughly want to do things within the system. I don't think she really believes in the system on that level. I think she just is like she wants to take her time and she's kind of not ready to kind of cross the the line of like really um like outright rebellion you know uh-huh. but I, I i don't really believe that she thinks she can just totally use the senate to get everything done she just you know needs uh-huh. this or that um but i think um 
Yeah, Luthen, I mean, what you're describing, basically an accelerationist, right? Like, right. we just need to speed things up, which which literally, like, I'm talking about her wanting to go slow. He's talking about her wanting to go too slow, and he's, like, an accelerationist. He's like, no, we need to set the wheels in motion. And um, I, I think the story's going to um, sort of lead in the direction of, like, you definitely... What he was talking about doing, I think, does end up being effective. And I think we begin to see that in this episode. Mm -hmm. Right. right. Um, but that's not to say that it's, you know, the only approach. And just because it works here, um, that it was necessarily the best approach or, or only approach even. Well, and it's been brought up more than one time. Uh, but Luthen was the latest of just like the amount of oppression that the Empire is putting on the people has gotten so commonplace and so mm. um, gradual that no one's going to complain anymore. Right. And and he's just like, we need to move. <laughs> and like, I get that. And yeah, people are going to suffer because people are already suffering and that's the new norm. And you're just going to have a different kind of suffering now. <laughs> right. <laughs> more, more acute, less of a, yeah. a kind of constant constriction that, mm -hmm. you know... Um, affects some people more than others and thus some people can say oh well if you just keep your head down and don't look up you know you'll you'll be okay right yeah i'm i i hear what you both are saying i feel like i'm still him sort of deciding that other people need to suffer without like hearing i mean and that's the whole point is like you can't just you, you can't hold a vote public, right yeah you can't hold a vote of all the people who don't like the emperor um so yeah it's it's it's, it's a struggle though but i, I think what we're continually seeing, and we see it from a couple different perspectives, is just this repeated idea of, like, rebellions aren't pretty and clean. You know, rebellions involve some, some terrible things. Um, and I want to go more into that, but I just want to say one more thing about what's happening is one of the things I think that the Clone Wars, and, and to some extent the prequels, but especially the Clone Wars, really kind of demonstrates is just how good at manipulating and understanding people Palpatine is. Mm. That he's very good at sort of creating the conditions under which they will, um, you know, eventually want the Empire. Luthen, I think, mm. points out that the things the Empire is doing in response to this attack of just being these, like, complete, you know, fear, complete uh, reprisals against lots of innocent people is really dumb. Like, it just, it, I mean, it's the classic fascist playbook, and it always fails. It always winds up turning into the people being so angered and upset and feeling like they have nothing to lose anymore that they do turn to rebellion, just as Luthen's hoping. Were any of you a little bit surprised? I mean, I guess that's the kind of thing. It's like, on the one hand, the emperor is supposed to be this great manipulator. On the other hand, maybe by now the idea is that he's so far into the dark side that he doesn't see it, or he's just so drunk on his own power that he thinks he can use fear and this battle station that's coming down the line pretty soon that it doesn't matter but what would you kind of feel about the um the empire taking such a drastic response to all this i'm okay i'm more i'm a believer of if it didn't happen on screen it didn't happen <laughs> and, and i'm curious if this guy actually had that conversation with palpatine or if he is reacting mm. and using palpatine's name to justify his actions uh, of the increase in hostility and such. However, on the other hand, I was, okay, uh, 
as we've alluded to, I don't know Star Wars um, very well compared to how much I know about Marvel. And so uh, while I was watching this episode and when they were announcing like all the different tactics that they're going to start employing now because of this uh, theft or this heist, um, it kind of got me excited of just like, oh, this show is the story of how the empire became the empire like empire has been around and it's been around since day one of this uh show Mm -hmm. and we've seen it in other um in like rebels and all that other stuff but this is the heist that was the tipping point to get the empire to be the truly like overtly evil oppressive uh, thing that we have learned to hate by the time we start watching the original trilogy. Um, and that was so exciting for me. <laughs> uh, so to directly answer your question, I, I don't know if, if this is necessarily Palpatine's idea, um, as, as opposed to, um, the guy who everyone mm. else will probably know the name of. <laughs> yeah. People are like, Oh, it's room. that guy. I'm like, I don't know who that guy is. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Okay. Um, but also, I, as as an outsider, it's real. I, I loved it. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, yeah, this definitely is the sort of. It look it's played like this is the incident that sort of um, incites the empire to be super overtly fascistic and oppressive. You know, I, I think it's easy to forget that, like, the first act of the Empire was to murder every Jedi they could find, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and like that they have been committing atrocities constantly. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. All yeah, these the the the, the uh, genocide of Geonosis has has I think has already occurred by this point. Um, certainly some other uh, wiping out of populations has definitely occurred. Right. And and or, you know, I mean, just um, displacement of populations like on Aldani. Right. And um, but the the Republic was doing stuff like that, too, you know. And so, you know, it became the Empire when they said, OK, we're going to kill all the Jedi and, you know, the Chancellor is going to become the Emperor. Right. That's when it officially became the Empire. But in a way, it was already this more gradual thing that had begun before that. And then this is one of those sort of, I think, maybe like an inflection point where like, you know, if you if you were to graph the level of oppression and fascism or whatever, this is where it then pivots to a, a more upward slope, right? It was already mm-hmm. going up. It was a build. Yeah. And now it's like, boom. And um, I think the idea, you know, of Luthen is, is like, People will notice this, right? It will be sharp and sudden and people will notice it and they will rebel. And things that have happened before were were more subtle and like and more local. Right. And so I think, you know, I mean, (laughs) I think the emperor's greatest weakness is his overconfidence. Right. Like that's 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 kind of uh, established in Return of the Jedi. And I think whether he was the one. Who, who basically decided, okay, let's do this this way, or whether it was people that he'd install and p- installed in positions of power with kind of the mentality, this is the general approach we're going to take. Um, either way, I, I think it's probably going to backfire. And a better way would be to be like, like if you really want to go full fascist on a thing like this, you just suppress all the news stories. 
You're like, mm-hmm. right. what heist? That didn't happen. Oh, that's just a rumor. Fake news, you know? Exactly. And then it's like, that's not going to start a rebellion now. You know, sure, you'll have people like, no, no, it really happened. I knew someone who knew someone who was, you know, but it's like, it won't have this big effect. And the empire's reaction is what's caused a much larger effect than the event itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, mistake. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I think, I think. I think to me it makes sense. I guess the main point I'm getting is, and I think this is kind of what you said, Paul, is that the subtlety of Palpatine as he was coming to power is right. gone. That now he is just – he feels like he doesn't need to do that. And and yeah, from that perspective, I think I 15 years of leader – 15 years of ultimate power, power would do that to a Sith. Like I can believe sure. that. And I yeah. just it, – it's just kind of important for me to noting like that this is a real change for him. But yeah, it does make I, – I, from that perspective, it makes sense that he'd be like, who cares if a lot of people rebel? Right. We can just wipe them out. Yeah. You know? And I think it's been – a, a change that's not sudden now, right? It's, yeah. I think the end of Revenge of the Sith was like the change. And then there's yeah. further progressing in that direction. But like deciding to wipe out all the Jedi, like that's a pretty strong statement of like, mm-hmm. you know, let's overtly use our power in a really, really bombastic, noticeable way. Right. It's true. Right. Um, I feel like there is also something to be said that at, there's been multiple uh, re- rebellion events across the galaxy, right? And the one that really got the Empire upset is when they took their money. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I think it's true. And I like at least that Dedra, uh, who's becoming a very interesting character, she's the um, female ISB agent who we've been following somewhat, that she at least understands – that this could this could horribly backfire. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that was very interesting, sort of seeing her perspective, and that it's interesting because like she's kind of, like you know we tend to root for underdogs, and she's a person who is in the bureaucracy that she's part of. Her voice is silenced. Her voice is like people are trying to steal her ideas. People are trying to like talk like you know use bureaucratic nonsense to get her in trouble. And so we're like, yeah, go Dedra, you. <laughs> help enforce the empire's power god damn it like i i think it's been very interesting the different responses between him and her uh, her and cyril you know that like a lot of folks are like ah cyril he's an idiot he's dumb but dedra i gotta root for dedra she's my girl even though she's you know serving the empire but like it's it's just so interesting the way they can they can make a character like her be very sympathetic and someone you want to root for even while what she's doing is is horrible yeah i I think it just kind of like underscores scores the point that like everybody's got their own stuff they're dealing with you know yeah like Almost everybody faces some sort of oppression in some sort of way, right? right? And not everybody faces the same sorts of oppression and not everybody faces it equally, right? It can be very, very different levels and types. But, um, you know, you can be facing one sort of oppression. Like here, it's kind of like the, you know, the boardroom patriarchy kind of thing, right? Yep. Um but, like, also be an agent of another form of oppression or even be an agent of that same very form of oppression, right, yourself, yeah. but still be subject to it. And, um, you know, and I say almost everybody because, like, if there's literally one person at the top, you know, then it's like, okay, maybe that person is, like, the ultimate oppressor. Um, although that, that doesn't tend to be actually the way the real world world works, right, But or our world. Um, right. But, like, yeah, in Star Wars, it's like, all right, the emperor, he... You know, I mean, he went through some stuff when he was younger, I guess. But, like, 
overall, like, you know, pretty much the most cartoonish, just, I just want all the power for myself, period. That's it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I mean, I think Cyril is, is an interesting case too, though, because you look at it and you're like, well, you know, he's, <laughs> he's getting these passive, atta- uh, passive aggressive attacks from his mom. You know, you can kind of infer what his childhood might have been like, right? Mm-hmm. And... It's like, yeah, he's he's dealing with his own stuff, too. You know, he and Dedra, like, they're both dealing with it in ways that then is causing a lot of harm to other people. So we don't have to, like, sign off on that and be like, oh, well, they went through some stuff, so it's okay that they're fascists now. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's, no. <laughs> but, like, but the show is like, these are people, right? Right. It's fascist systems of government are not ruled by one or two overlords. They are... I mean, they, they are, but they are run by individual people who have faced their own stuff, but then have nonetheless chosen to be on that side and to right. to uphold those systems. So I think we can both understand them as people and still, you know, criticize or condemn their actions. Right. And and this episode especially, I mean, he's, he's now... He obviously is holding on to, like, feeling like he was wrongly treated Mm -hmm. because in his understanding, people were killed. And it's a good thing to find out why and to do something about it. He wasn't allowed to do that for what he sees as corrupt reasons. Um, And, of course, we understand those killings in a much more sympathetic way than he sees them because he just doesn't know what we know there. And you could say it's maybe he's not giving that the the benefit of the doubt. But, like – where he winds up is not like a military op- – he, he's just part of the government. You <laughs> yeah, know? He's, yeah. And it's – Imperial the standards. The way they portrayed that bureaucracy of just that huge floor with cu- like these super high-tech – but they're still just cubicles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I felt like they got the writer from Dilbert or some other like parody of office bureaucracy to consult on it because it was just – it was such a perfect way of you being like, oh my god, this poor guy. Yeah. Like just so depressing. Sitting at this desk in the middle of nothing – twisting a dial for eight hours a day like that's the corporate nightmare yeah. <laughs> like, of course it's happening under the empire yeah that was very sad uh-huh. <laughs> but also like <laughs> no uh, <laughs> like yeah and it, and also like i mean i imagine you can do a lot of harm from that position yeah. as well right i mean you're part of the the overall mechanics of the whole thing and I don't know. I still feel like it's probably going to have some arc where he figures out that uh, what's the newest? Is it Keel? Is that the the newest pseudonym? Um, uh-huh. um it is um, is Cassian Keith. and you know Cassian is Keith. Keith, Keith. That's what it was. Keith. It was so brief that right. I forgot Keith when he was living in Space Miami. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's like somewhere warm. I'm like Tatooine, and he's like, and nice, not Tatooine. <laughs> that w- can we talk about that cut for a minute, or do you have like yeah, a, a, okay. like that was one of the weirdest transitions I feel like I've ever seen in like almost anything. Uh huh. But like, I mean, I think it worked, but it was just really weird. You know, it's like just all of a sudden, it's like, yep, we're in Miami. <laughs> you know, yeah. like. I was still trying to figure out if that was a flashback or current. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lee was asking that. She was like, did this happen before? I'm like, no, I'm I'm pretty sure this is a, a time jump, right? Like, this is now X months right. later or whatever. Right. We don't know how much time has passed. Some amount of time has passed, right? Could be a week. Could be a month, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
he seemed to know his bedmate fairly well. You know, they were at the, oh, don't forget to pick up the, you know, the Cheetos or whatever. Um, yeah. You know. <laughs> um, and, yeah. And it, that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then that, it was like, it, it was that sort of like you end the, the episode on this sort of like, oh, and now we're on a beach. It reminded me of actually like the end of the Born identity. Yeah. Except then it took a hard right turn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's intentional. Or like a far I, I right turn. Not just the Bourne identity, but like, I think there's a lot of movies where when our heroes pull off some great heist, like the final scene is them on some beach where they can't be extradited, yeah. living the good life with all their money, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like going all the way back to like trading places, you know, where they wind up on that beach. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that was very intentional to be like, look, he's living the good life. He got away. And yet, no, it's, it's taking a hard right turn and him seeing... Like that, the oppression is still out there, and then him getting caught up in it. Yeah. Yeah. Do Do we and want I, to talk about him getting caught up in it? Yeah, sure. Oh, I mean, yeah, like that's the, you know, the getting arrested just for existing, kind of thing, yep. right? Uh-huh. Which, you know, in in our world, clearly happens and is horrible. Um, and then getting sentenced for an absolutely absurd period of time. Um, it appears that they don't actually have trials. They yeah. just have sentencing just, hearings, right? It's like, no, you yeah. were arrested. You were guilty. Stormtroopers don't make mistakes. Or beach mm-hmm. troopers. Or and, <laughs> beach the, and that whole conversation with a stormtrooper is one that I've seen a hundred times in videos of police brutality type right. things. Yeah. Where it's oh, like, you look yeah, tired. Like you said. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like every question he asks there's an assumption there of wrongdoing right. that ca- there's no way Cassian could. Act- I mean, he, he, you can you could sort of say he could have handled it better, but the whole point is like what he he's as confused as anybody yeah. in that moment, and he's doing nothing wrong, mm-hmm. and he's trying to explain that no, I'm just walking around here, and like there's a beautiful irony that like this is a person who the Empire should want to in, right. want to arrest for eight different things, yeah, yeah, yeah. but here he's not doing any of them right, exactly. Just, and I think he's kind of baffled that, like, wait, they don't know I'm Cassian. They just think Keith should go to jail. Right. What the hell's happening here? Yeah, what's the, what's just... the ID checking process here? <laughs> Very bad ID checking. What's your name, <laughs> Keith. All right. Well. All right. Cool. <laughs> nice to meet you, buddy. I think he had enough money and enough contacts oh, he, he to get it. fake ID. Oh, maybe. Right, but like then he would have to then have the like original identity somehow deleted or something if cuz we're t- there's some sort of facial recognition thing, right? Maybe. Right. Although maybe that's like later when you get uh, deeper in maybe, the empire and maybe this is a thing they're like, "Oh, we had him. We should have figured that out. Uh, we need to make some kind of facial recognition software." Well, I, I thought that the idea is that the whole thing that Cyril was investigating has all been put under lockdown. So oh. that's maybe – like those records aren't available. They're sealed the kind of? To, yeah, I just want to hide the whole thing because mm. it's embarrassing. Sure. But, but yeah, I thought it was a great scene and a great way of really showing like what the Empire is doing and how it compares to today. Yeah, for sure. Um. So, yeah, what, talk more about uh, uh, his arc though in terms of Cassian. I think we we talked about it as the last episode, like, yeah, it seemed he was definitely not ready to join the rebellion yet. Um, I, I thought it was really heartbreaking the conversation he has with Marva about where he is like, okay, well, I I wanted to protect my people, I want to go, and and she's ready to stay and fight. 
and and Bix in the same way. Like he just wants to run away, but either he's burned all these bridges or the people around him now have the idealism that, that he's trying to run away from. I was going to say, I was going to let thought. you talk, Paul. No, uh, go ahead. I, well, okay. I, I got to ask the noob question real quick. Is she somebody that we should know? Just no. from the earlier episodes. Okay. She's like a separatist, I think, originally. Yeah. Right. All right. I didn't know so she if she was going to end first. up being some sort of like rebel rebellion. Not like an like Easter egg kind of thing. That we... Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm no, pretty sure was, she's going to die because... Andor yeah. says, "Like I lost. You're not the only one who lost everything. So I'm pretty sure everybody he cares about is going to meet some horrible end. But anyway, proceed. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. No, I. Uh, that was that was heartbreaking. Um, and uh, I, uh, the character that she plays for Cassian, I think, is really important because, like, he has no family." He doesn't, you know, he doesn't have um, a mom or I don't know who his sister is or was or could be, but um, he just doesn't have anything. And then for him, like everything uh, for him to just be like, but I'm going, I'm going to be worried about you. And she's just like, well, that's love. (laughs) And it's like, (laughs) oh, (laughs) like that's so Mm -hmm. heartbreaking. But yeah, um, he's not ready to he's not ready to sign on yet and that's fine he still needs to continue his own personal arc but she is so ready the fact that she just grabbed her gun um, yeah right after he left i was like oh wait wait what is she going to go do now i thought right. she was going to wait for something <laughs> yeah. i think she is i think she's just like i carry my gun around the house because like yeah that's what we do now you know yeah um, and, and I thought somehow the scenes with with her and then with Bix were really effective because they both have, they have very different reactions to him, but it's kind of the two sides of the coin. Because what Bix is saying is like, less I'm worried about you, but more just like, look, because he he's come back with the money, and so he thinks everything is going to be fine. Yeah. And she's like, look, no, you you what you did caused a lot of harm and suffering to us here and and people aren't okay with that and you just are continually taking chances not thinking about other people and i feel like i i think we kind of talked about this before but it, it would have for me felt a little bit you know disappointing if that three episode arc he had had completely changed him mm. and so it's both hard to see him making the same mistakes of taking people for granted but it also feels very real to me that, like, he hasn't learned enough yet. He still has to have some other hard things happen, which I, I think you're probably right, Paul, will be the death of at least Marva or Bix will will come pretty soon. And then maybe the other one will come towards the end of the season. Well, um, I, I mean, I, I don't even think it's necessarily one of those things has to be the motivated. I think now that he's, like, been arrested for, you know, sentenced to six years for walking on the beach and, like, maybe right. proceeding at a light jog. You know, like, I th- I think that could very well be the, the sort of turning point. I don't know. Um, I think so. But, and, yeah. And it was funny during that scene because a part of me was hoping that what would happen was he'd basically be watching the stormtroopers, like, do terrible things to these basically street kids, as yeah. far as we could tell. Like, they were maybe, like, saying some bad things of the Empire. And him, like, watching that happen would inspire him to be like, no, the evil still exists. I have to fight it. I And I was th- watching that thinking... I, 
I would love that for his character, but I don't believe he's that sort of compassionate towards others yet. I don't mm-hmm. think he would – I think his thought would be, okay, well, those kids were dumb. I need to keep my head down longer. And so, like, it would be more heroic if it wasn't his own imprisonment that motivated him, but it also feels much more believable, I think. Yeah. That I, go this way. Yeah, I think it wouldn't feel true to the character. Like, I feel like Cassian is a character who sees a lot but doesn't necessarily see far. You know, yeah. like very observant to the things around him and and wants to understand the situation, understand what's going on right there, you know, but doesn't doesn't want to think about like the imper- you know, the empire doesn't want to think about right. galactic matters. Right. And and I think that's very, very natural. Like m- most people are thinking about, you know inflation they're not thinking about you know the structures that that cause inflation or like the structures right. that make money so necessary to our day-to-day lives right it's like it's it's fairly unnatural to really spend time thinking um in like on such a broader scope and by unnatural i don't mean bad i just mean i, I don't think it comes intuitively to a human right? right i think generally the things that are in front of us are are going to be the primary things in our focus and i I also kind of like – I don't think it's necessarily necessarily like he needs to have like his eyes open so he's enlightened and then he understands the way things really are. Like, no, I, I think he understands how things are. He just doesn't believe that there's something that like a person is going to be able to do to change it. You know, I think he's yeah. just a character who thinks this is the way things are. This is the way things always were. You know, I was suffering under the Republic. Now I'm suffering under the Empire. What's the difference, you know? And like, if we overthrow the empire, then what, you know? Like, yeah. like what? There's going to be a new republic. And I think in some ways he's vindicated when we actually get to Mandalorian and see kind of how bad the new republic actually is. <laughs> but like, yeah, I, I think I think for him it does have to be more personal, you know, just because that's sort of that's the character we've seen so far, and it could be personal someone he cares about. Um, suffering or dying and it could be just him suffering being like this again like this is this is extra ridiculous you know i've been through ridiculous this is supersized ridiculous enough i'm done you know let's go i think it's really true and i especially really loved the sort of counterplay of on the one hand there's a number of people who are talking including including marva i think who has no idea that andor was involved who, like, they are inspired by this story of what happened to the garrison. Yeah. It is for them the moment of, like, oh, the Empire isn't com- omnipotent and, yeah. and utterly untouchable, that they can, which I think was very much Luthen's goal. Mm-hmm. But Andor is like, well, yeah, but half our team died doing it. Right. You know, and we just kind of got our way by dumb luck in some ways. And we had to hold a gun to a kid's head to do it. Maybe he's not nah, bothered by that. Could. I don't know. I, um, but I don't yeah, know how people like, are so bothered by that. It's not like they shot the kid. Yeah, uh, that's a longer question. I mean, I also oh, think the kid is the kid worse than than holding the gun to the, the woman's head. Like you know, they're civilians. It's two civilians. Yeah, you took two civilians hostage. Okay, not the best. You didn't shoot any of them. Whatever. Yeah, they really didn't. Uh-huh. They didn't. Let, let's and get I on to that superhero ethics because I think I have a lot to say about mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I mean, I agree with that. Like, I'm not. I'm not like, oh, so the rebellion's useless now. Like, no, it, it's what happened. But I just think there's this really interesting thing happening of where so many people feel like this attack is the thing that proves the empire is defeatable, mm-hmm. and yet one of the so far, actually, we've seen three of the people who were there 
Well, one of them who got away has been killed because he was like didn't believe anything. He just wanted to steal the money and get away. Uh, we saw Sintra just like continuing to do her stuff, and we don't really know what's going on with her. We saw Val. Oh, sorry, Val, basically being told that now she's got to go kill Andor, and not seemingly feeling great about that. And then we've seen Andor, who's like. Like, all the people who are involved are the people who seem the least, like, fired up, rah, rah, let's go, uh, about this thing that's inspiring so many other people who are just hearing about it second, third hand. Yeah, I mean, I think Sintra we don't really know much about yet, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think Vel's more like, wait, you want me to go kill one of my teammates who just took his cut and left? Like, he did what he said he was going to do, you know? And, like, he mm-hmm. killed a traitor. Like, what What do you want, you know? Um which I, I do think that thing is ridiculous. The mm-hmm. um, Luthen's – I'm going to say Luthen's partner. Like I know within the framework of the gallery, she's his assistant. But like when they actually have conversations with each other – and by partner, I don't mean like romantic partner. I just mean like you know his partner in crime <laughs> right. in the gallery, right? Um, I think she is very personal. I think that they have a – relationship that's more than just sort of business associates and rebellion i think they genuinely care about each other but whether that's romantic or kind of just good friends or like fatherly or like you know anything like that i think we don't know but did do, it seems so out of character with what luthan said do you think that she's acting on luthan's orders i don't i yeah. i think she's because when he told her about cassie he made a mistake with the thief right Exactly, and so I think, um, yeah, I, I, I don't. I, I think she's like, I'm gonna handle this because you didn't, you know. Um, right. But then there's the question of like, what about his thing? Like, is is Vel gonna give it back to him? You know, the the like Kyber crystal thing. Oh right. yeah, the you sky know? Kyber. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. I'm not sure. I don't know. What other things kind of jumped out at you that you wanted to get into? It was one small little detail, but the the mouse droids, those little droids oh, yeah. that run along the floor, like what we have seen before is them like coming up to like stormtroopers or other people who look big and powerful and kind of giving like a little squeak and going off in another direction. And I just thought it was such a per- it was a tiny miss like blinking you miss it moment, but Cyril getting out of the way of one right was just such huh. a like nice shot of like who his character is that he is the one who's like I am not going to change my environment to suit me I am going to be kind of meek you know but yeah. and, like and maybe it's like a good thing I'm, I, we'll see how it plays out but he definitely seems like right now he's not fighting the world around him for change he's like all right I'm going to adapt I'm going to adjust I'm yeah. Kind of all of his plans have been defeated. I mean, he's like, I'm going to change myself to to adapt to my environment, which I I don't I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, but I, I do think there's something to be said for like, you know, taking up space, like yeah, you know, not to exactly. the point of taking you know, of like claiming all of that space from others and like not giving them room to take up space, but like. You know, I think each person has, you know, sort of like an allotted amount of space that like it's like that's their space. And like he seems kind of like as a cop, he seems to be overreaching that. And like as a person, though, outside of that job, he seems kind of contracted, you know, like shrunk. There was a uh, a scene that took me out 
of the show immersion or whatever um mm-hmm. <laughs> when mothma leaves um uh, luthan's shop and he watches the uh her car go away he didn't have oh, anything yeah. to look at on set and so his eyes like dart in like spot like it it have you ever tried to like move your eyes across a horizon without actually watching an object go yeah, it's not easy. It's it's, like, yeah, so like your eyes will like dart from from point to point instead of move smoothly over. Um, I've noticed that as a kid, and it bothers me all the time. But um, <laughs> <laughs> and so I I noticed uh, Luthen when he watched the car go away uh, from his shop. He was darting from point to point instead of actually smoothly watching a car leave. They should have gave him something to watch. They're gonna do I, a super close-up of his face and then yeah. go all the way, man. <laughs> I I will say, like, first, like, that seems, like, very, like, minute and nitpicky, but I'll also say that the car landing scenes are the car, are the scenes that have taken me out of the show. Like, every time <laughs> I see the car landing, I'm like, ah, this, this is just so CGI and everything else yeah. in this show just looks so, like, pure, you know? So practical. Everything yeah. else yeah. looks so real and that one thing looks like <laughs> It's just, it's clear, it's just animated, you know? It's this. I, I think it's in part because it doesn't look like a ship. We keep calling it a car. Right. Because you know? it think, is, right? I mean, it's a space yeah, it's, car. It's meant like, to look like a BMW, yeah. sort of like, you know, the nice car that a, like a, a nice rich person travels around in. Yeah. But just that this one has like repulsor lifts instead of wheels. Right. <laughs> Whereas every other thing has looked like an actual ship. Yeah, right? yeah. It's just right. I think that's like. Yeah. I, the scene so, where they're in it looks fantastic. Oh yeah, but yeah, yeah it's I, I beautiful. Just, that's but it's like artificial looking, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the the car aspect of it takes it out of the Star Wars, and then sort of <laughs> like the 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 green screen aspect of it takes it out of like it's clearly not like a our world kind of thing either. The fact that it's flying, you know, it's just it's like right. it's just a little it's this is a little thing, and I feel like the show has so few things that like make me feel that way that it's just just like you know it's like it feels like a glitch. It really shows how deep into the barrel we have to dig to find something. Yeah, yeah. For sure. But, but it's, it's there. That's that's a fair observation. Just back to the serial thing, I feel like because Danielle, who was our guest last week, written in the Star Wars, like she had this whole thing about how he he's being portrayed as someone who's going to get really rat, who has been radicalized, and is going to get even further radicalized towards the sort of hardcore empire. Um, and I think that's very possible right now, especially with like he's so upset at the corruption, and the empire could like he could see it as like the empire is going to wipe away the cor- the corruption that happens when all these little independent corporate police forces are happening. I think that's a direction his character could go, but I think more than anything right now, he's striking that that scene with a mouse droid really drives it home for me. He's really looking for someone else to take direction in his life. Mm-hmm. Like he thought the cops were going to do it. I think, Paul, you're right. That's why he's kind of overreaching. He's for so long been listening to his mother, but now he wants to kind of get away from it. I feel like his life path is going to be who's the next person who gives an impassioned speech because if it is someone in the cubicle next to him who's like yeah well you got screwed over because the empire was in control if the empire was in control all that would be taken care of he's going to listen and if the person in the cubicle is next to him is like well this is why the empire is terrible this is why we have to have a rebellion because you know murders like that don't get solved that's horrible he's going to listen to that like he just strikes me right now as that kind of person who is at such a low point and 
he had this sort of very kind of like broken idea of what he should be that's all been now shattered that he's whoever comes at him next with a very emphatic point he's probably gonna listen to mm-hmm. i can see that as a possibility um like a very strong possibility um oh. i could also see almost the opposite happening where he's like i feel like he hasn't really directed his life for most of his life you know yes the one time he tried to kind of take matters on his own you know and be like i'm gonna i'm gonna run this op that i was told not to right i'm gonna follow this thread i was told to let lie went spectacularly awry um but i can i can also see that sort of just being like something he tends towards and like where where he wants to go but he kind of has a hard time with that you know and it's like he's been he's spent so much time being told what to do that like he wants to be the one telling, you know, and mm-hmm. like this is like like to basically choose a choose a spot to kind of pick a stand, you know. Yeah. And um, I, I think in in a way, like I think someone coming and giving an impassioned speech or, or whatever could be the sort of spark that sets him off on whatever course. Um, but I also think it could be some other event where it's not someone basically saying like, hey, you should do this. It's like, um, it's just something happens. Or like, I think if he finds that Andor w- w- is is Keefe, right? Like if, if yep. somehow he puts that together, I think there's there's a chance that then he would kind of try and take matters into his own hands again and yeah. and like kind of kind of run it up the the chain of command even when told like oh whatever like you know brush that under the rug so i i think that's like i think there's a lot of possibilities for his character yeah. you know we've we've basically Definitely. and i i think as a person he's this kind of like a little bit of like an empty vessel right who has like mm-hmm. some ideas and I think in his mind wants to do what he thinks is good. You know, yeah. I think he just doesn't, he, he kind of has a clear idea that like, he thinks, you know, there's laws for a reason, right? Like mm-hmm. he's, he's on some level an authoritarian, but he's an authoritarian who's like also kind of meek and, um, you know, put upon in some ways in, in like social fashions, basically. Yeah. So I think it's definitely true. Yeah. I'd be very interested to see how he reacts to seeing like a new inmate picture come in. He sees Cassian and uh, will he act on it because Mm. of his previous act on a notion? Does he quote unquote learn his lesson and does he, is he a broken man or is that going to um, fuel him to, you know, make action and and do something good for <clears throat> quote unquote good for the empire <laughs> right yeah it's very interesting to see and especially between him and dedra like i kind of feel like maybe it's become a bit cliched but like one of them is going to wind up becoming sort of a you know agent for the rebellion and the other is going to just be straight up like become hardcore to the empire, you know, and we'll, I'm curious to see which, 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 and it may not be, it may be they both contribute more into the empire. Maybe be that they're just in different situations. Who knows? But, um, it, 
I think the fact that they're showing us the two of them and that they're dealing with different struggles and at very different power points. Like she is clearly yeah. much higher in the ranks. And I did love the scene where the uh, commander of the ISB or at least of her section, like, hears all these accusations against her. And I was like, oh, so in other words, she was doing her job really well. Like, and rewards her for it as a really interesting, like, okay, some people get that the bureaucracy shouldn't be, like, the end all and be all of everything. Yeah, I I think I will reject it if she, like, turns to the rebellion without, like, I just just don't see that. I I think she's, like, a kind of a true believer, definitely a, like, ladder climber who I think is just, I, I, I feel like she's all in on the Empire in ways that other people in that room are not, mm, you know, true. I feel like a lot of the other people are kind of just doing their job. They're just going along with the day to day. They're like, this is what I do. And I feel like she's like, no, I, I am going to do this better. And if that's a right. job that you are highly motivated to do better than other people are doing it, like <laughs> basically sniff out and stamp out rebellion. I find a re- it really hard to like think. Mm-hmm. Oh, now you're gonna become the rebel? Like, mm, I don't know. I could more see someone that she outmaneuvers and outplays within the empire flipping and being like, "Well, this system didn't do well by me," you know? Right. Like maybe she uh, like if something like that happened and things really the Empire kind of turned against her in a personal way for some reason, because something she did went wrong. I could I guess I could see it, you know, but like you'd have to show me you have to do a lot of work to get me there. I feel like she's a very compelling um, real like. I, I feel like I know why she does what she does, and I feel like it's because she thinks it's important work. Right. Yeah, I think I definitely believe that. I certainly think the way that, like, I think if that bureaucracy moment with her in the meeting had gone differently, then that might have been a thing that starts to get her to to doubt things. Mm -hmm. I think if she did turn to the rebellion at this point, it would be less because she idealistically doesn't believe in the the empire and more kind of like what happens with, um, I forget her name, but the woman who's sort of the original uh, administrator over LaFalle. Um, oh right. Who, she kind of turns to the rebels, but only because she knows she's about to get killed by the empire. Oh um, yeah, that was like in the final moments of yeah, of rebels. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, yeah, season one. Uh, Wait, season two. Maybe. Oh, her. I'm thinking the other one who I was like, I don't remember her turning to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. So, but we'll see. We'll see. I, I, I think you're probably right. She's the one who's le- much less likely. Um, and maybe neither one will. We will. We'll see. Um, it was just really great to see the K2 unit again. Like, I definitely had a moment of like, oh, my God, that's K2. And then, of course, realizing, like, but it's not. Yeah. And, We're not and I don't know if you know. I think it was subtitled as a, a KX unit, and K2 is, like, a specific uh, KX mm, unit. That way, like, R2 is a droid. And there's R the, other numbers. Because you could see the arms of another one also holding yeah. the prisoner in yeah, the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think the idea is that, like, we're being introduced to that class of droid, right. which does this kind of work. But yeah. it may be that neither one of those is the one that he will turn yeah, eventually. Yeah, I think so. So. I, I Now that we're on droids, I found – so the whole scene with Marva I thought was very kind of heartbreaking, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, I wanted him to be, like – 
that was me, mom. But like, of course, that's not what he would do. You know, right. like, like I did that, like the, the heist, but like, that's just not, that's not him. Right. So I think it's better that yeah. he didn't. But the thing that like, really, I found upsetting was like B2 being like, being like, can I speak now? And Marva's like, no. And I'm like, ah, oh, they're so mean to him, especially her. Yeah, no. But like, you know, I'm just like, oh, this is like, come on. Yeah, they yeah. are. Especially because, like, Cassian was talking about, like, I want to take the two of you yeah, with me. Yeah, right, yeah. exactly. Like, and he meant her and the droid. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, that's the family. The family is the three of them now, right? Right. And I, I think he was also wanting to take Bix with him, but that's not what he was saying to Marvel. He was definitely talking right. about it, too. You know? Yeah, it was definitely a little hard to see her treat him like that. Yeah. I've, I've, I feel so bad that there's a droid with a stutter. Right, yeah. Maybe that's, like, part of what... Like, I don't know. It just feels very real. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that they said in, like, the first episode that it's because he's very old. Right. Well, you saw him in the in the, in the the backstory, right? Yeah. yeah. He was with Marvel. And he was all shiny and stuff then. He was, yeah, he was all shiny and new. And, yeah. like, since then, he's had, a like, a wheel replaced. Mm-hmm. He's got that gold foot. But, like, mm-hmm. a homage to C-3PO in a right. kind of way. But, um... Yeah, I I I ended up liking B two. I really didn't like him in the first episode, uh, but he's he's grown on me. B two is like my favorite character. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like honestly, like when you say like who's your favorite? Because one of these for one of the stingers, you're like who's your favorite um, non Jedi character? Like it might be B two. <laughs> Like, yeah. I don't know. There's like so little of them, but I don't know. I just, I just, I strong feelings. <laughs> well, it made me really curious what he wanted to say. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it was at a very specific moment. It was at a, it was at a moment where the two, where Cassian and, and Marva were at a miscommunication, like a mm-hmm. misunderstanding of each other's intentions, I think. Yeah. I think B2 was going to try to bridge that. Uh, miscommunication and Marvel was like, nah, it, yeah, he's gonna do his thing, I'm gonna do mine. It's yeah, like, ah, damn it. I, yeah. <laughs> I think when you mentioned, like, where's she going with that gun, like, where's she been going? You know, she talked about walking up the street without, you know, um, not going the long way around or whatever, but <laughs> I, I, I do feel like maybe she's been doing some stuff and B2 was about to, you know. Tell Cassian about that, you know? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, there's probably so much more we could talk about. The last thing I just will quickly say, and then we'll, we'll probably, um, you know, just let people know a little about the stuff we're doing, go to last ad, and then I want to have one last question for you, Wills, our, our stingers we've been doing. Um, the line that Luthen says, there will be no rules going forward. It just hit me so hard, and it just... I think it really helps set up, because we know somewhat from Rebels, but also from a lot of the novels, that one of the people who most objected to Saw Gerrera and the kind of more extreme tactics mm. he had was Mon Mothma. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I think it's really setting up that she's... She, like, the scene between her and the other senator, or at least the other, like, her friend from childhood, where she's like, oh, no, my politics are even more, you know, aggressive right, than yeah, yours. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, like, it, she's used to that, where she's kind of, like, in her group, she's the most extreme. Right. <laughs> but she's realizing that, like, compared to people like Saw and Luthen, like, they're playing a whole different game. And I'm just really interested in seeing where all that, that plays out. Yeah. Also, 
I have been to a number of parties. The conversations you hold are being overheard by people all the time. Yeah. Mission security for Mon Mothma is real bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have that many private conversations. <laughs> I was, I was constantly, I was like, go on a balcony or something. Yeah, just in, <laughs> right? like, in the living room? Come on, bro. And yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. She's not good at this. But, like, maybe that's the thing. You know, maybe she's not as, you know... As right. subtle she's, as she thinks she is. Yeah, she's Although obvious, Yeah, obviously somehow she does well enough to make it all the way to Return of the Jedi, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <It's> that. <laughs> it know. could be a clone. We don't know. You know? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, it, and I think it also they, they well established also a little bit more of her background. That she has a lot of cent- – I think the planet she's representing was a separatist planet. Mm. It's interesting that like separatists are now kind of like the, the charity cases that you're trying to take care of. But also they established that her family comes from a great deal of money, they, that she wants to access her family funds. And so I thought yeah. that was a nice way of doing something uh-huh. like, yeah, this is a woman of a lot of privilege and that both – it gives her an ability. She's using her privilege for good. But also I think that's part, that may be part of why she thinks she can like keep her hands clean throughout this whole process. Do, so did the, did the separatist planets have senators still at the end of – the Clone Wars. I, I think the I think the implication is like at, I'm rewatching Bad Batch right now, where they talk about like offering all separatist planets planets a full amnesty and welcoming them back into the Republic. So I think it's kind of like, you know, they split off. They stopped sending senators to the Republic Senate and had their own separatist Senate. Mm. Now the Civil War is over. The separatist planets are allowed to send senators back to mm. the uh, republic, but there is still some tension there. Right. Okay. Because, di- because in I mean, there were the deleted scenes, right, from Revenge of the Sith right. with Mon Mothma. But is that non Disney canon? Like, no. I think I think I mean, I I don't know if those if those deleted scenes are canon, but right. I certainly think that there's other stuff from. Uh, books and and other stuff that is fully canonical that establishes that yeah, Mon Mothma. Oh, oh no! I, oh, I see what you're saying. What I'm like, saying is that she was there on Coruscant, <laughs> acting as a senator at the time of right. Order sixty six. Basically, I can see it going either way. I could see that it being that she is from there, but I also could see it being that it's more sort of a like, you know, she's the rich senator from Connecticut trying to get people to pay more attention to flood victims in in New Orleans or something like that. You know, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's clear that like people who are from the, the planets that did se- have sep- were separatist alliances are kind of second class citizens at this point. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I think it's a good uh, place to wrap up things for a moment. Um, let me just ask Will, for people who've been hearing your voice and want to hear more, where should they go? Uh, you can find me on Twitch, uh, Silver Dreamer, Silver with a Y. Um, I like to build Legos and model kits and, and, and gunpla. I also talk a lot more about Marvel than I do about Star Wars. I read Marvel comics on Sundays. It'd be fun to have you. I'm also, I also have a podcast called Hype is My Superpower. Uh, me and my best friend Steve talk all things Marvel and everything that makes us hype. It's fun. It is, it is a great podcast. We just had them on as our guest for an episode of Superhero Ethics, which was a lot of fun talking about Moon Knight and Ms. Marvel and how they compare from screen to page. Uh, and Paul, what is, the Zen Ma- what is the Zen Madman up to? <laughs> uh, streaming poker mostly on Twitch as Zen Madman and 
That's that's about it. Yeah. Watching Silver Dreamer on Twitch also is very, very chill <laughs> Sunday nights listening to comics in the rain. You know, it's not comics in the rain. That would be bad for the books. Oh, but, my gosh. You know, some, my some soothing <laughs> rain sounds. <laughs> I like it. I like it. And of course, you can find all the stuff that I'm doing under The Ethical Panda. That's where you'll find all the back at theethicalpanda.com. You'll find all the episodes of this podcast, my other podcast, Superhero Ethics, and all the other stuff that is going on. There also, you'll find all the ways to contact me, uh, theethicalpanda.com. You find my email, my Twitter, my TikTok, all the different things to follow, all the different ways to send in feedback. What do you think about Andor so far? Would love to know your thoughts. Please send them in. Uh, so I'm at myself, Will and Paul. Thank you much, everyone, for tuning in. And we are going away, but we might be back for a quick encore right after this. I wonder if some of these episodes have multiple directors insofar as, like, the... I think this one had the same director as the very first episode. Uh, the first oh, three. yeah. But, like, I wonder if that director did everything on uh Ferrix and then like the Miami scene if there's more stuff that happens there if that's like a different director or something although actually those yeah. looks like they were on sets so maybe there's just some second unit stuff nah, never mind that could be as you can tell we're back and we're still talking about indoor things <laughs> oh, um, that was on the record <laughs> yeah it was cool <laughs> you're talking to a hot mic I'm gonna share your thoughts hot mic <laughs> um but will we've been doing this as a teaser Something that we're not asking you your favorite three or your top three, but we're asking you, like, what are the three first things that come to your mind as being really great in this thing? And I'm going to ask you, for you, what's the kind of top three or the first three of Lego Star Lego Star Wars that you either put together or want to put together? Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> so my favorite I, – I can give – okay, I think I can give you three. Okay, so uh, my favorite Lego Star Wars – uh, set that I own is the UCS Millennium Falcon that's in the background of my Twitch. Uh, it was gifted to me by my groomsman on uh, for, during my bachelor party. Uh, so it has a lot of sentimental value for me. Um, my That's an awesome groomsman present. Yeah. My uh, largest Star Wars well, in terms of like unit count um, or, or set count, my largest Star Wars collection is um, Star Wars microfighters, Lego microfighters. They, uh, they're ships that are like the, that fit in size in the palm of your hand. Um, there's like 40 of them so far, and I have all of them. And I'm oh wow, I'm proud of having all of those. Um, and the Lego Star Wars set that I want but shouldn't have is the UCS ATAT. It's like 800. Mm bucks or something and it's huge and it stands and 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 it looks really cool uh, i have nowhere to put it but that's fine i'll find a spot that's awesome nice that's awesome. all right well, thank you all again thank you all for listening and have a great day bye bye and now I have to correct myself and say that episode 7 was directed by the same director as episodes 11 and 12, not the director from the first three episodes who will, in <laughs> fact, direct the next three episodes. Got it. Well, um, I'm very glad Yeah, the world would have been a very dark place if we hadn't had that corrected. Exactly. So how long you. is Andor supposed to be? 12 episodes. It's 12 episodes? Yeah. And then there's It is 12 season. episodes, which is the first half. It's a total of 24 episodes. It's 24 episodes? It's, it's two seasons. Yep. But it's like, two, I yeah. guess it's one. It's two 12 seasons. It's two 12 seasons. 12, two it's two 12, 12 episode seasons. seasons. <laughs> yep.
And now we're really wrapping up. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>